Um, I'm going to continue on Pastor's um, theme of shaking it up, and uh, I want to I try to shake some things up in your life today. Um, but you know, sometimes, well, actually, I shouldn't say sometimes, we never like to be shaken up, do we? Uh, most of us like when things are just going nice and smooth, you know, but sometimes we just need someone to grab us by the shoulders and give us a little shake. Are you up for it? Amen. Father, we just come before you right now. We're just open for you to do whatever you want to do. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us today something maybe that we've never heard before. Um, but more than that, Lord, we just want to hear your voice. We want to hear what you have to say to us individually. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father, that you're, you're looking at us as individuals. You're not necessarily looking to speak to us corporately, but you want to speak into our lives. And so we're just open to whatever you have to say to us today, Father. Let our ears be in tune to your voice, to your heart, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Um, so, you know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And a lot of us think what that means is that faith is going to come by us reading God's word. Um, but if you really examine it, it, it says more than that. It, it, he says, Paul writes, faith comes by hearing. That's the end of the statement, really. Faith comes by hearing. So how does hearing come, Paul? Well, hearing comes by the word. So when you're reading God's word, you're developing your hearing. When you read God's word, you're developing your hearing. And then when you hear God speak, that's when faith comes. Because a lot of people read the Bible and don't even believe in God. So, you know, and, and you might know people that can quote more scripture than you that don't even believe in God. So the Bible doesn't actually increase faith. The Bible makes your ear more sensitive to hear. Because how many of you know we hear a lot of voices? And so how do you discern whether the voice you're hearing is God's voice or not? There's only one way to do it, and that's the Word. Amen? That's how you can discern. So then when you hear that, the Word of God, when you, when you hear, you know, I, I didn't give my kids a book about me when they, were, when they were able to read and say, here, read this and you'll learn what I'm all about. Do you know what I mean? That's not how they grew in their faith in me. That's not how they, we grew in relationship. We grew in relationship by them hearing my voice, by them sensing my touch, by them Grow, right? Isn't that how it happens in a relationship? And so in the same way, that's how the Father wants you to grow in your relationship with him. He wants you to hear his voice. Don't look at the word as the work of, oh, I got to read God's word so I can grow in my faith. And when turmoil comes, it's like, let me find a Bible verse that's going to help me with this. No, he wants it to, to come up from inside of you. He wants it to be relational. He wants to speak to you. Amen? And so today, I'm going to kind of challenge maybe some of, the, some of the way we think. I'm going to stay down here. Is that all right? I'm going to, all right. All right, we're going to mess, we're going to shake it up here in this place. We're going to bring the pulpit down. Woo! I don't even know if that's legal, but we're doing it. 
It's Youth Sunday. We don't follow the rules. All right. <laughs> As KJ would say, that's right. I'd like to make a couple of announcements real quick. Um, no, I did forget to mention this. Um, this Saturday is men's breakfast, 10 a.m. in the basement. Come with an appetite, all right? We have a great men's group here. If you've never come out to any of our events, why not? Come on out this Saturday, 10 a.m., all right? Um, and also, I want to reemphasize the triple header, I'm calling it. I'm calling it the triple header. This is 3D right here, if you haven't noticed. It's got a 3D thing to, going on. You see that, Joey? All right, give me that, Joe. Um, but this is um, September 25th is not only Back to Church Sunday, but it's also International Sunday. And it's also Bring a Friend to Church Sunday. So it's a triple header. So if you don't like the back to church thing, then pick one of the things that you do like. No, I'm just kidding. But bring someone out. Um, it's back to church Sunday, September 25th. Um, both services, of course, 9 a.m., 11.15. But after the second service, we are going to have two tents set up, which I'm sorry I mentioned in the first service is going to be in the basement, but we're too big for that. So it's going to be outside. Um, bring your dishes. Sign up for whatever um, country that you represent. Um, that you're going to, to bring. And we'd also like to kind of step it up a little bit this year and invite you to bring maybe a game or something that represents your country. Um, and uh, so maybe you're sitting around the table and you can introduce something different about your culture to us. Uh, dress in the attire. Um, me, I'm bringing hamburgers, Monopoly, and I'm going to dress just like this. No, I'm, I'm that boring. I'm uh, all American. But... Um, but but please, um, it's really one of the, one of the best events um, that we have because there's really good food involved. And that's, you know, that always makes a really good event. Um, so don't forget, International Bring a Friend to Church, Back to Church, Sunday, September 25th. We like to just combine everything. So we're going to shake it up today. I'm not going to do Pastor Joe and make you get up and actually shake because that would be more exercise than I had this week. Um, but, uh, but one of the things I want to shake up in your perception of what you're going through, and that is, I'm going to make a statement to you. You're fighting the wrong giant. Most of us have things in our lives that we consider to be a giant. How many of you have ever told someone about your giant and they're like, what? That's no big deal. Anyone ever, you know, it's like, oh, this, I'm having such a struggle with this. And someone's like, really? You think that's bad? Well, let me tell you about my giant, you know. Um, but you know what? When something is big in your life, it feels like a giant. How many of you are dealing with maybe a giant in your life? How many of you have dealt with a giant for decades? We're, we're nervous to put our hand up, right? We're like, oh, you know. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that I can give you a solution today. Um, because in American culture, I think that we have an attitude a lot of times. Uh, I, I, I almost feel like the why me attitude was developed in America. I don't know why, but I just kind of think that that is like something that's kind of unique to us. Like, why me? And, you know, when you think about saying why me, if you realize that everybody else says why me, you realize how ununique you really are. You know, it's not just you. We're all going through stuff. We're, we all have battles. We all have something that we're dealing with. But a lot of times we focus 
on the wrong thing. And I want to help you with that. I want to help you to focus a little bit better today. Um, I remember this song not too long ago, one of my wife's favorite songs, just kidding. But uh, the, the chorus is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, or what doesn't kill me makes you stronger. My wife hates that song. But, but, the, but, the, con- but the concept of that song is that you're going to get stronger through what you're going through, right? That's, that's the idea behind that song. And that's really what the giants in your life are really for, right? It's to make you stronger. That's what Paul says. He says, celebrate when you encounter these things because it's going to develop things in your life. Of course, that's easier when you're not going through the problem to, to remember that verse, right? Um, but the bottom line is that these things are what is considered resistance. And there are some people in the world that love resistance, that love confrontation, that love the fight. How many of you are here today? I said in the first service there were a lot less Hispanics raising their hand when I said that. I'm really surprised. Um, I married a Hispanic, so I can say that. But, um, but, but, you know, some people love the fight. And it's not, not for any other reason, but it's just it, it gives energy. And then there are some people, like myself, that kind of like run away from the confrontation, run away from the fight. Um, don't like resistance. I don't like resistance. And, you know, maybe you can tell by, by, how, you know, by how much weight I, I need to lose that, you know what, I, I don't like to exercise. I don't like the resistance. I like to just, like, let things happen. But you know what? Resistance is good, right? That's why we go to the gym for resistance, to develop our muscles, to grow, to, to, to get stronger, to be able to deal with things. So if you embrace resistance, if you realize that it's a positive thing, if Adam and Eve would have embraced the tree and said, you know what, that tree represents our freedom, not eating of that tree, exercising their control to not eat of that tree, right? If we would embrace the things that are coming against us and realize, wow, this, this is going to make me stronger. This is going to make my walk with the Lord stronger. Amen. Not giving into it, not running away from it, but every time you walk past that tree going, I love that thing. I love that that's here because that's making me stronger. Not eating of that tree, having the choice to eat of that tree and not doing it. That's making me stronger. Amen? But I don't think we embrace it like that. And like I said, there's two ways to do it. You, a lot of people that run at the confrontation, they get exhausted. That's like, you know, when after you've gone for a little while, like myself, and have an exercise, you're like, all right, signing up for the gym, and tomorrow I'm going to, you know, hit every single thing in there. And I'm like, you know, and you feel really good. You're going through it all, and, you know, and you feel little twinges, but you're like, I'm, I'll be fine. And then, of course, the next day you wake up, and you're like, did I really do all that, you know? Maybe I should have started walking around the block once or something, you know, like, because you try to, you try to conquer everything at once. But it, the same thing happens. So it's either you're exhausted or you're the one that runs away and doesn't face it, and then you get out of shape. And so today I want to kind of challenge you to embrace resistance. But I want to challenge you to embrace resistance on Maybe not your own giant. 
I want to challenge you to embrace resistance, but in another way. And I want to talk about someone that faced a giant in the Bible, David, right? We all know the story of David and Goliath. But today I want to talk to you about a, a little different aspect of his life. Uh, most times we talk about David, we talk about Bathsheba and Goliath. Those are the two things that we, you know, that we focus on David. You know, his victory over Goliath, his fall with Bathsheba. But, you know, David was an incredible man. And one of the things I love most about David was that he wasn't perfect, that he had a lot of issues, but that he always turned to God. No matter what he was going through, he always turned to God. And I pray that that's you today. You know what? We're all going to have a lot of issues. But the choice is, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go for your help? And so the giant that I want to talk about today in David's life was his son, Absalom. For those of you that know your Bible, you know the, the story of Absalom. You know the story of what he was like. Um, first of all, he was a very strong and good-looking man. And... Um, and he had a lot of gifts, a lot of talents. He had a lot of charisma. He was someone that really could have led people. But because he was hurt by his father, basically, um, he became very rebellious. And David wasn't a great father. Um, one, of the, one of the things that he struggled with was being a dad. Um, there, as a matter of fact... If you really get into your Bible, you, you can't find many really great fathers. <laughs> um, hasn't changed much, right? I mean, father, fatherhood is a very tough calling. It's, 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 it's a very demanding calling, and it goes against the nature of men. Uh, men are kind of like, you know, I'll go out and I'll make the money, and you stay home and you do everything else, Right? And so, uh, but fatherhood is something that really, you know, throughout Jesus' life, when he talked about father, he was giving us a vision, an eye of what real fatherhood is. It's self-sacrificing. It's putting your children first, right? Um, and so David had a tough time with that. He had a tough father. Um, Jesse didn't even really remember him when the prophet came to the house, um, and he brought his sons before the, the prophet, and uh, prophet's like, is that it? Jesse's like, yeah, that's it. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there, uh, there's that. You see that little guy out there? He's, he's my son, too. That's, that was David. That's the place David had in Jesse's life. So he was probably hurt by that and probably, as a result, um, swore he would never do anything like that and, and ended up being a pretty bad dad. But anyway, Absalom, I'll tell you a little bit of the story if you, if you haven't read it. David had a couple wives, um, and he had several children from them. His oldest son, Amnon, was the half-brother. So he had, obviously, David was his father, but he had a different mom. And Absalom and his sister, Tamar, were from the same mother. Amnon wanted to have a relationship with Tamar, his half-sister. And, uh, and he, his friend gave him a conniving way to get alone with her. And she did not want anything to do with him the way he was coming on to her. 
and he raped her. He raped his, his half-sister. This is your Bible, by the way. I'm not making this up. Read your Bible. You'll, you'll see it. Um, but this is what happened in this relationship. And Absalom, her brother, was appalled. And David did nothing. David said nothing, and David did nothing. We don't know why, maybe because of his improprieties, um, but he didn't take authority over what took place in his house. And it was building and building and building in Absalom for two years. And then he planned on and succeeded in murdering Amnon. When that, was, when that occurred, Absalom was put off into exile for three years. The Bible says David mourned every day for Absalom. But he just didn't know how to make this relationship right. Absalom was David's giant. It was a giant that he didn't know what to do with. And it got so bad that Absalom, um, finally, Joab, David's captain, um, through another really fun story to read, but through a, a woman got David to receive back Absalom to the kingdom, but still would not have fellowship with him. He was there, but he wasn't there. Dads, you hear me? You know, you're there, but you're not there. And that was the kind of relationship that David had with Absalom. All right, at least he's here now, but I'm, I don't want to talk to him. And so Absalom resented this, and he would stand out in the square and people would come to the kingdom with their problems, and Absalom would be like, I could help you with that. Oh, if I was the king, we'd straighten that out. And he started, the Bible says he won the hearts of the men. And like I said, he was really good looking, so he probably won the hearts of some of the women too. He, they, were, they were all in. They were like, this is our next king. And, he, and um, fast forward, he, he took over. And David, this incredible warrior, this man that has, has won battle after battle after battle, packs up and runs away. David, it, it, like, when I first read this and first understood and first studied, I was like, is this the same David? Is this the same David? He's not running at this giant. He's running from this giant. And finally, they're hiding out in the woods, and David and his leaders come up with a plan to go and to take over. But even then, he, he, he instructs his warriors, don't hurt Absalom. This kid that has done every evil against him so far, um, which was prophesied to David, but Absalom actually took David's concubines into the, um, to the roof of the palace, set up tents, and had relations with them in front of all of Israel, it said. He disgraced his father. And David still said, don't, don't hurt little Absalom. Because sometimes the giant before us is so close, we don't know what to do. How many of us are willing to look someone that we love in the eyes like Jesus did and say, get behind me, Satan? How many of us are willing to do that? How many of us are willing to encounter a giant that's that close to us 
and have that kind of relationship. So if we fast forward to 2 Samuel now, you got the, you got the gist of the story. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 18, if you've got your Bibles with you, we'll put it up on the screen, um, starting at verse 9. So now they're in the middle of this battle, and, uh, and obviously the only person they're really hunting for is Absalom. Uh, then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom made, um, rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great ter- terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth so that um, he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule, which was under him, went on. <laughs> so this guy's got this beautiful long hair. And he gets caught under this tree, and now the, the mule that he's riding takes off, and he's hanging in this tree by his hair. Now a certain man saw it, and he told Joab and said, I saw Absalom hanging in the, in the terebinth tree. And Joab said, you saw him? And why did you not strike him to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. He would have rewarded him. And the man said to Joab, Though I would receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ital, saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. So everyone knew that they were there to fight, but not really. Are you hearing me? Because David did not know how to deal with this giant. And some of you have giants in your life that you're fighting, but you're not really fighting. Because you don't know how to fight. It looks like you're fighting. You're exhausted like you're fighting. But nothing's happening. Anyone? And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's your giant. It's my giant. i got to fight this. I, I don't need your help. This is my giant. You fight your giant. Isn't that our attitude? Isn't that our attitude about the giants in our life? My giant. Well, David had this giant. He couldn't do a thing. He didn't even know if he should kill this giant. Goliath, he's chopping his head off. But this giant, he's like, oh, don't, don't, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. He's destroying you. Where are we? Where am I? Now, throw that next verse up so you give me a little head start. Thank you. That's my niece, so I don't even have to say please. All right. Um. <laughs> Obviously, I would have dealt. Um. Where am I? Otherwise, sorry. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. This is the uh, soldier saying, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have um, yourself said against me. In other words, he says, I don't care what you would have done for me. You would have still told the king I killed his son. Um, So Joab said, I can't linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And then ten men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. This kid was pretty strong, right? Joab threw three spears into his heart, and then it still took ten men to come and actually kill him. So finally they kill this giant. And you would think that the king is going to be relieved. But if we fast forward 
to verses 32 and 33. And the king said to the Cushite, this is the man who ran to David, is the young man Absalom safe? That's all he could think about, right? Doesn't care how many of his men were killed. Doesn't care if Joab was killed. Doesn't care what happened. All he could think about is, is my giant still alive? And sometimes we get so attached to our giant, we don't know if it should be killed or if it should be embraced. Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. In other words, he's dead. <laughs> then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. How many times can you say Absalom? I can't even really say it right, but how many times can you say it? All David can think about is this giant, and the giant is dead. This is a time to rejoice, but David is mourning. Thank God for Joab. Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it that day that the king was grieving for his son, and the people stole back. And when it says the people, it's talking about the warriors that just went out and won this victory for him. It says that they stole back as, as people um, steal away when they flee in battle. So they went away like they were cowards, like, oh my gosh, what did we just do? Did we do the right thing? But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king, and he said, Today um, you have disgraced all your servants who, have, uh, to, who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the wives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither partner, um, neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Joab says, do you know who your enemy is? Do you know who your enemy is? Do you know who the giant is in, the li in your life right now? We're not your problem. He was your problem. We took care of your giant. Right. You know, interesting when we read about David, because now I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go back to that first story that we see David come out and take on Goliath, right? It's always David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. Just And, and in our Opinion, Goliath was David's giant. That was David's giant, David and Goliath. David killed Goliath. But interestingly enough, we see how many times David says Absalom there. He never even said Goliath. He said this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine, 
He never even mentions his name. You know why? Because Goliath wasn't David's giant. He had no relationship with him. Goliath was Saul's giant. Goliath was Israel's giant. David and Goliath probably would have never have met. They would have never have, if David didn't go that day to bring his brother some food, that thing could have went on for who knows how long. David had nothing to do with Goliath. He was just an uncircumcised Philistine. He's equivalent to that bear I killed. He's like that lion I killed. He'll, I'll take him down just like one of them. This guy's nobody. You call that a giant? Saul, you, you think that's a giant? Huh? How many of you have ever come into someone's life and they feel like they're battling a giant and you're like, that's a giant? No, no, we can do this. I beat one of those already. Amen? See, David wasn't fighting his giant. He was fighting Saul's giant, Israel's giant. Just like when he killed that lion and that bear, they weren't his giant either. They were his sheep's giant. Right? Lion and the bear weren't messing with David. They were eating sheep. The sheep didn't like the lion and the bear, so David killed them. Are you hearing me? See, too often we are focused on our giant, and you see what happened, right? When David focused on Absalom, 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 he didn't even know what to do. But when he was focused on someone else's giant, perspective came. That? That's a giant? No. That's a lion. That's a bear. I, I've killed those things before. He'll die the same way. That's the confidence that David had. If we look in um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, when, when David comes to Saul, Uh, verses 33 through 37. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. So Saul's looking from the perspective of, I'm scared of him, you should be even more scared. All my warriors are afraid of him, you really, go back to your sheep, okay? This is not really where you should be. Because Saul's perspective on this giant is, this is my giant. He has crippled the army of Israel. He's crippled this great king. Because all they can focus on is the giant. But David brings perspective in. Because he's not looking at the giant through his own eyes. He's looking at the giant through the eyes of the father. Amen? How many of you know when you've had a victory, the chest goes out, the confidence is up, right? Well, you didn't have that victory for you. You had that victory for somebody else. Because you're going to encounter someone that's dealing with a lion or a bear, and you've already beaten a lion and a bear. And you're going to go, that's no giant. That's no giant. But if you're focused on your giant... If your giant is consuming your thought, if all you can say is Absalom, Absalom, you're not going to be victorious. 
It took Joab to defeat David's giant. Someone that had perspective. Amen? And you see, you need to bring people into your life that are going to help you with your giant. Saul, um, so Saul says, you can't do this. You're too, you're too little. You're, you're not experienced. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb um, from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard, struck it, and killed it. He's serious, right? David's like, this guy, he says, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, I don't even care what his name is, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Amen? When you have perspective of victory in your life, it just helps you to overcome in someone else's problem. You know, one really simple thing that I've done for several of you in this, in this uh, building, a lot of the young people, they take up instruments. And, you know, from a, from a parent's perspective, like finding the right guitar or right bass or whatever, you know, sometimes it's like you walk into Guitar Center and there's like a thousand guitar. You're like, what do I do, you know? And it looks like a giant. And some parents have come to me and said, hey, you know, so-and-so's taking up the guitar. I'm like, I got you. Because to me, that's not a giant. I'll find you something. And I get on there. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing it for any, I don't get like a commission from my friend who sells guitar. I, you know, I do it because I love to help with that. To me, that's no giant. I've, I've, I've already beaten that one. When I started, I figured it all out. Amen? Now, that's a small example. But you know what? I've, I've, a lot of people have been appreciative of me beating that little giant for them. Amen? So don't sell yourself short. You have some kind of victory in your life. And when you focus on your victories, when you focus on your win, it will help you to bring deliverance to someone else and to yourself. Amen? When you focus on your victories, you don't think, what, you think David never lost the sheep? To a bear or to a lion? That's our problem sometimes. We're like, well, I beat a lion, I beat a bear, but then I did lose those 10 sheep that day. Uh -oh. Yeah, it wasn't that good that day. But David just brought up his victories. Amen? Saul, if Saul would have said, well, how many sheep did you lose? I don't know. But I know I beat a lion and I beat a bear. Amen? When you rehearse your victories... The giant doesn't look so big. Doesn't look so big. Notice, again, Saul tries to stop David because from his perspective, this was too big. David's like, I got the right perspective on this. Many of us need help with our giant. Amen? Saul needed David to defeat his, to defeat his giant. David's response was that Goliath is just like another lion or bear. Goliath was an obvious enemy of Israel, but Absalom was the obvious enemy of David. And David could not deal with his giant, but he could deal with someone else's giant. I said that already. Just looking through my notes. 
You know, it's not really popular today to be, um, you know, we're, we're in this politically correct society. You can't say anything. You can't believe anything. But I want to challenge you today to love people enough to get into their life, to see them come to victory in their life. Do you hear me? It takes love to tell somebody you're wrong. It takes love to bring somebody out of something or to identify a giant. Joab loved King David. He said, don't you understand? We beat your giant. Amen? He rebuked the king because the king lost perspective. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. The world's telling us tolerate. Let me tell you something about the word tolerate. That is the lowest form of affection you can show anybody. I've never taken my kids, looked them in the eyes and said, I tolerate you, honey. That would be an insult. That would be like, right? Could you imagine if, you're, if someone took you and looked at you and said, I tolerate you. Be like, oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Like, why, why? Why are you only tolerating me? The world's demanding for us to tolerate them. Jesus told us, love them. Love means that, you know what? You're killing yourself. Don't, don't do it. I, I don't want to tolerate that. My kids ask me to tolerate them, right? Children want to be tolerated. Oh, let me get away with this. Put up with this, right? But love, right? The Bible says if you tolerate that way, you don't love your child. Amen? If you don't correct, you don't love. If you don't bring someone out of something or identify a giant. I'm sh remember, all the other people, they were just like, oh, we, we hurt the king's feelings. Let's cower away. We probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, boy. Joab was like, what are you, are you kidding me? We just beat your giant. Wash your face. Go out and tell the people that you're proud of them. Right? Sometimes we need to be shaken up. But you, you have to understand the perspective of your giant. It's, how many of you notice that it's so easy to recognize giants in other people's lives? Huh? Oh, if he would just do this, everything would be fine. If she would just, oh, then, oh, everything would be, why? You know, come on. And guess what they're saying about you? If he would just do this, he'd be fine. If she would just do that. Right? It's easy to recognize giants in other people's lives. And that's why when David came through and heard that, he's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, is this why you guys are ducking over here? That, that's the reason you guys are, 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 are hiding? Where's the king? Bring me to the king. We're going to take this guy down today. Amen? Because it's some, and that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to get into someone's life, find out what their giant is, and take it down for them. Amen? Don't give them advice on how to take it down. Are you hearing me? Amen? Jesus didn't come to people and go, oh, well, here's what you got to do for those eyes. Uh, here's what you need to do. No. He healed their eyes. Amen? 
He took down the giant for them. All the giants that Jesus defeated, all the giants that Paul defeated were in other people's lives. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was at the point of his biggest giant, the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. Amen? That was his biggest giant. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, says, I got this giant. Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. I asked the Lord three times. Right? When he's dealing with his own giant, he's not so strong. He's not so powerful. You got a giant? Come on. Let's take it on. Amen? See, you're focused too many times. We're focused on the wrong giant. I want to close with this. John chapter 21. I heard that Terrence stole this from me this week, but this is my message. You know, after Jesus resurrected um, from the dead, he revealed himself to the disciples several times. And this is one of the last times. So they've already seen him. He's walking through walls. He's, do, you know, like, it's like they've already seen him. And in the 21st chapter of the book of John, you understand from their perspective, okay, from the perspective. We, we, I always tell Christians, it's like we... we we read the, the story and we're like, oh, these guys, they should have known better. But understand, walking with Jesus for three and a half years and then seeing him on the cross, even after he told you a hundred times, I'm going to raise from the dead on the third day, you're probably not remembering that. And you're probably wondering what just happened to this whole kingdom thing. Aren't we supposed to take over here? Aren't we supposed to restore Israel back to authority on the earth. That's what they were thinking was going to happen. But Jesus was doing something way greater than some political movement. Amen? He was doing something way greater than restoring Israel back. He was restoring the garden back. He was restoring relationship back. He was restoring access to God back. He was ripping the veil. Amen? But they, would, they just wanted to be back in control. Jesus wanted to bring them so much further. But understand, from a natural perspective, they didn't get to read the end of the book like we do. Jesus on the cross, it's over. It's over. In verse 3 of chapter 21, Simon Peter, the leader, said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, some of you, like myself, who like recreational fishing, might think, oh, he was just going to relax a little bit. No, he wasn't a recreational fisher. He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman by trade. So what he's saying here is, it's over. It's over. This whole thing that we just worked three and a half years for is over. I'm going back to what I know. Back to what I'm comfortable doing. And then the, the other disciple said to him, no, no, don't do it, don't go, oh no, I'm sorry. The other disciple said, we're going with you also. Right? They were all in. We're like, yeah, let's go. Start a new fishing business. They went out and immediately got into a boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Amen? Jesus says to us, 
do you think you could do anything without me? Amen? They caught nothing. I, I have a, a message um, that God gave me many years ago called Catch Any Fish Boys. Because in one translation, I think the living translation, it, that's what Jesus says from the shore. He goes, catch any fish, boys? And I like that. I grew up in New York, so we, you know, sarcasm's our second language. And it just sounds a little sarcastic to me. Because, you know, standing on our shore going, uh, uh, catch any fish, boys? Yeah. Knowing that they caught nothing. And, of course, they say, no, we didn't catch anything. And he says, uh, why don't you throw your net out on that right side? And they pulled up this giant catch. And all of a sudden, deja vu, right? Peter's like, oh, I remember something like that happening a couple years ago. John says, it's the Lord. Peter throws his clothes off, jumps in the water, swims to shore. And then we have that famous little conversation between Jesus and Peter. And you all know the conversation. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter's like, of course I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Oh, second time. Do you love me? Peter's like, yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. One more time. Do you love me? Right? The Bible says he got frustrated, Peter. It's like, you know I'd do anything for you. Right? And Jesus kept saying, feed my sheep. And you know what those words to me mean? It's not about you, Peter. It's not about you. Your giant is not about you. When you think it's about you, you're going to cower like Saul did, like David did to Absalom. When you realize that it's not about you, you're going to go and look for others that you can feed. You're going to go and look for others that you can help through their giant, that you can bring to victory someone else. And then you know what? Your giant will get perspective. Someone else will bring you perspective on your giant. But when you focus on your giant, you're going to be ineffective. And that's all the enemy wants to make you. The enemy of your soul is not concerned about your eternity if you believe in Jesus today. Not even concerned about it. All he's concerned about is what you can do in other people's lives now. So he just wants you to be ineffective. He wants you to focus on your giant. He wants you to cower. Amen? And that's what Peter did that day. He's like, oh, guess it's over. Going back. And Jesus said, it's not about you, Pete. Not about you. It's time for you to go. Find someone else's giant that you can bring victory to. Amen? Amen? See, one of the things that David did as an example to us all was he wrote many of the Psalms. Not all of them, but many of them. And you know, when you read through the Psalms, some of them sound, some of them are pretty crazy. Sometimes I read a Psalm, I'm like, how'd that make it into the Bible? I mean, it's just, you know, it's so honest and so like, it's almost like, you know, you know, growing up as a word of faith guy, you know, I'm like, well, those are bad confessions, David. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just like he's just really open and honest about what he's going through. And let me tell you something. The only time you can do that in a true act of worship is when you are alone 
in worship. Very difficult to do that in the congregation. It's very difficult to do that when you're surrounded by a bunch of people, to be that intimate and honest with God. But I believe that a lot of Christians forget about worship in their own private time. We'll we'll pick up our little devotional, we'll read the Bible, we'll pray. But many times we're not spending time in just intimate worship before the Lord. Not trying to get anything from God, not trying to prove anything to God but just acknowledging who he is. When you read through the Psalms, oftentimes you see David just declaring, he's, I'm, I'm, I got all these enemies, Lord, but I know you're going to take care of them. You're going to do this. You're going to take care of this. Not give me the strength to win this battle. He doesn't say that. He puts God on the throne. That's how he defeated Goliath. That's how he defeated the Ammonites and the Hittites and all the other ites. He put God above. He made his perspective worship. He always went to worship. There was a time when his own men were about to stone him to death. And he said, let me go, let me get alone with God. And God gave him the word, the victory. Amen? You know, oftentimes when I'm in my prayer closet, when I'm worshiping the Lord, and trust me, it doesn't look like this. When I'm in my worship time with the Lord, it looks ugly. Okay, a lot of snot, a lot of tears, a lot of, you know. I'm just telling you, that's, that's, what, that's what deep, you know, that's the way mine looks. And in, in reading some of David's Psalms, I think that's probably the way his looked too. It was through, through, through battle, through pain, through fight. It's that intimacy development that only happens in the quiet place. Amen? Amen? It's the same kind of relationship that you have with your spouse. That intimate time is not for the corporate place. It's for the private place. Amen? And that's why I encourage you. Today we're going we're gonna to come up here, those of you that have had these giants in your life for weeks, years, months, decades, whatever it is. And you're going to come up here, and, the, and what you're going to do is you're going to give that giant to the Lord. And you're going to see that sometimes he's not going to give you that magic answer. You know? How many of you want the magic answer? Yeah, you know, that's what we want. You know, we go to the Lord, we got the giant, and we want the like, oh, the epiphany. Oh, that's, that's all I need to do. Oh, okay, I get it. But you know what? Most times you need more than that. Most times you need more than that. And so the magic answer doesn't come, but you know what comes? This peace that passes understanding. And you come out of that prayer closet, and you're you're like, the reality is you're still like, still don't know what's going to happen. But I know God's in control. Amen? And you know, Jesus said, my peace, the peace that I give you, the world can't give it, and the world can't take it. Amen? And so when you get to that perspective, whatever that giant is that you've been, you know, doing this with and that's been pounding you or that you've been running from or that you can't even really identify, you're like, oh, don't, don't kill it. Don't kill that giant. Maybe it's something that you need to really recognize, but it's not going to come from your perspective. It's going to come when you lay it at the feet of the Lord and maybe the next person that you meet will be the one that will speak that word that you need to hear. And you'll be like, wow, 
That's how we beat this giant. Amen? That's how he answers us. He sent David to beat Saul's giant. Amen? Amen. He sent David to beat Saul's giant. He sent Jesus to beat a lot of people's giants. Amen? He sent Paul into people's lives to beat their giant. And so he's, going to, he's given you perspective. You've got victories in your life. How many of you have victories in your life? Anyone that hasn't raised their, didn't raise their hand there, think back. You have victories that you can bring into someone else's life. And it could be as simple as finding someone a guitar. You hear what I'm saying? Telecaster if you're looking at one for me. But anyway, no, just kidding. But, but it could be as simple as doing something for someone that you think is like, oh, no, that's simple. That's easy stuff. But to them, it's, you, you've defeated a giant in their life. And then maybe you'll be humble enough. And for a lot of us in leadership, this is the tough part. But maybe you'll be humble enough to let someone in to fight your giant for you. Amen? Because sometimes we think like, well, I'm in leadership and I got to beat this myself. Saul was in leadership. He was the king. David was in leadership. He was the king. Amen? And they needed someone else's perspective to beat that giant. Amen? So don't go at your giant alone. You probably lost all perspective by now. It's time to let somebody else in to beat that giant for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Today, I want to give you an opportunity. The, the biggest giant in our life is called the sin nature. It is the nature that we're born with from Adam and Eve. And it's something that you can't avoid. You're born with it. But Jesus came to pay the price, not only to forgive you of your sins, past, present, and future, but to heal you and deliver you from the nature of sin, to actually change your perspective on sin. Because sin is a master, and no matter how hard you fight, you can't beat a master. But Jesus beat him for you. The Bible says, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus defeated it all. So all the Bible says is this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not you can be saved, but you will be saved. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity today to pray what we call the prayer of salvation. If you've never prayed this before and you believe it in your heart, today is day one. <laughs> I got that from our water baptism video. I love that. Today is day one. So pray this prayer with me. I'd like to invite everyone in this room to say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, thank you I thank you for paying the price, paying the price. to relieve me, Relief. to deliver me, deliver me from my sin nature. My sin nature. You, sent you sent your only son, Jesus, to shed his blood for me. To forgive me, past, present, and future. I believe in my heart that he is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised them from the dead. 
And right now, the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead dwells in me. Your Holy Spirit. I'm brand new. I'm a child of God. Never to turn back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.